Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This week on Forward... Hey everyone, this week we have a special interview I did with futurist and founder of the XPRIZE, Peter Diamandis, for his podcast, Moonshots. What is your roadmap? How do we make change here? How do we save uh, ourselves from what's happened in this two-party system? We get into everything from artificial intelligence to online voting to independent nonpartisan primaries and ranked choice voting. If you like the conversation, go check out Peter's podcast, Moonshots, but first, I hope you enjoyed this fun conversation we had just a few weeks ago. Oh, I'm not sure I'm going to call you a politician. I want to call you an entrepreneur. I want to call you a change maker uh, in the political realm, uh, Andrew Yang. Andrew, good to see you, my friend. Oh, great to be here, Peter. And yeah, I'm something of, uh, I, I dislike the title politician, so I, I appreciate your exempting me. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're far more than that. And uh, you're a strategist and an innovator. And I'm excited to jump into it. Uh, as is usual, before we dive into a show, let me ask you, uh, what is your moonshot? Most people who... Uh, sat in the 2020 race. Remember, my moonshot was universal basic income, uh, which is eradicating poverty in our time. And that's still the vision, the goal. But I've now identified that there's an intermediate moonshot, which is fixing American democracy so that it actually can solve meaningful problems effectively. So doing that first, and then hopefully we can turn back to eradicating poverty. All right. Well, let's let's jump into both of those moonshots. Uh, but before we do, I've got a question for you, and it's a conversation I've had going on with a number of AI experts on this podcast, which is the coming U.S. election, 2024, looks like catnip for AI disruptors, uh, for deep fakes, for people who want to get in there and sort of cause trouble. What is your thought about how AI, generative AI, is going to start playing a role in the next 18 months. Yeah, I, th I think it's going to be a big part of this cycle and not in a good way. And I try to explain to folks, look, uh, imagine if the incremental cost of uh, video, an email, a text, an image is zero. And I can make those images or videos uh, true to life convincing and they're completely made up and fabricated. Where you saw even recently, there was, I think, a, a, a picture of the Pentagon being on fire and stock markets moved before anyone 
could say, wait a minute, that was AI generated. Um, now you can imagine that times a hundred or a thousand in this next cycle. Uh, I'd almost advise people down the stretch is just turn off your social media feed <laughs> because I, I think it's uh, going to be that cacophonous, unfortunately. I can, <clears throat> I can imagine that. I mean, I'm wondering how much democracy is going to be threatened in the near term, like the 2024 presidential elections. Mo Gadot, who's been on my podcast a few times, who wrote Scary Smart, calls it patient zero for the disruptions that we're going to see from AI. Now, I'm the guy out there saying AI is the most important invention ever that's going to help us solve humanity's grand challenges, uplift, you know, create abundance, all of those things. But I can imagine patient zero being the elections and making uh, Cambridge Analytica look like, uh, you know, kindergarten. I can imagine both of those things too, Peter. I mean, I tell people, look, if you want to improve the human condition, AI could be the most positive development in, uh, in generations, maybe ever in human memory, really, uh, in terms of alleviating Alzheimer's and cancer. I know you're working on aging, which <laughs> is the greatest, uh, the, the, you know, the, the greatest As hard as I can, as hard as going. I can. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I'm super glad you're doing it. But in, in the interim, this 24 cycle could end up being uh, patient zero. Do you think that politicians out there are ready for this? Do you think the, uh, the existing parties are ready? Are they scrambling? Are they scared? Uh, are they in the heightened sense of, oh my God, how do we either use this or defend against this? Well, one, one of the reasons why I don't think you're seeing much in the way of countermeasures uh, or concerns or precautions or whatnot is that most political figures are more like rats in a maze than anything. You know what I mean? Um, like, can, can, we just just stop are... with, can we stop with rats? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they... They're going out there and they're thinking, okay, what do I need to do to keep my seat, to raise this money, to make this person like me, to get this positive press cycle, to get this social media post to, you know, like get more likes. I mean, like that, that's where most people's heads are. And the system-wide problem of eroding or collapsing trust uh, and integrity of uh, our democracy um, fall by the wayside. I mean, one of the things that I'm arguing now is that uh, America's democracy is actually very, very dysfunctional and has been for quite some time. But if you're uh, an existing political figure, your problem is not fixing the dysfunction. Your problem is just fulfilling your role within the maze or within the cage. Uh, I mean, one fact that I think most people know, but I just want to put a fine point on it, most elected officials in D.C. spend between 30 and 60 percent of their days dialing for dollars, you know. So imagine if you had half your schedule calling rich people and then the other half the time, uh, you know, theoretically legislating or, <laughs> or, or running around meeting people or constituents, you don't have a lot of bandwidth left over for trying to insulate the system from A.I. I can imagine that, but I bet you there are forces out there that want to utilize AI to tilt the next election cycle. Um, is the U.S. government ready to call it out when they see it or defend against it? Uh, do you, have you been in any of those conversations? I've been in rooms with various folks who are making the case uh, to government officials or the government officials themselves. Um, we're totally unprepared, truthfully. Um, uh, the, the current American political system is reactive, not proactive. Um, and so we're going to go through at least one cycle 
of real, real damage um, before anything meaningful is done. I imagine that, right? It's, uh, we had been talking about airplanes being used for terrorism for a long time, um, and it was 9-11 that got people to change uh, behavior. We've been talking about pandemics for a long time, and uh, it was finally COVID that got us to accelerate vaccine development. I, I'm afraid that uh, we don't take action until there's a disaster and the horse is out of the barn. Yeah, um, we're going to be one disaster behind on this one, too, I'm sure. On the flip side, AI could play a massive role in helping to educate the electorate on what's going on. I mean, my biggest, my biggest problem as a voter here in California is I go to the polls, I look at all of these you know, individuals and, uh, uh, and what's being voted on, and you know, I'm busy. I've had very little time to get educated on them, and getting a clear answer is really hard. And you're dependent upon these commercials that you may or may not have seen. There's got to be some mechanism that you know, better generative AI can sort of position the situations and compare and contrast them and allow me to make a decision. But is that happening, or do people not want that? I would love to help make that happen. Uh, in the form of the forward party. You're right that most people right now um, both have too much information overload and not enough information simultaneously. It's a good time. <laughs> you, you show up. It's one reason why, what is the main form of political communication you see? It's just someone's name, really. They're just trying to get their name imprinted into your mind so that when you show up, uh, you can vote for them. It's very seldom the political party. One of the dirty secrets in California and the rest of the country uh, is that most of us don't have a two-party system. You have a one-party system. Where you are in California, there is zero suspense, I guess. I'm guessing. Um, it's going to be a Democrat. And so which flavor of Democrat? You're not sure. So you show up. And then uh, it's going to be a name you recognize, perhaps. It's one reason why at the federal level you have a 94% re-election rate for incumbents. 94%? So, that's, that's insane. Yeah, yeah, 94% congressional incumbent re-election rate and only a 15 to 20% approval rating of Congress writ large. So that they've drawn a completely uncompetitive, unrepresentative system and then told us, hey, it's a two-party system you're competing. Like, they're not. In California, you know, Democrats run everything. They have three quarters of the legislature having conversations with themselves. Um, and by the way, in California, they're not delivering on things like homelessness or uh, public safety or education. But then they just pat you on the head and say, well, what are you going to do? Like that, they're, they're, you're stuck with us. Uh, and <laughs> if you go to a, a, a place like Texas, it's the reverse where the Republicans would be like, what are you going to do? So, um, that, so that there is very, very little actual competition in the system. It's one of the things that we're trying to change. I have to say, when you stood on the stage of A360 and spoke your heart, uh, I was so impressed at, at what you had to say. And you had standing room only and, and your follow on. Uh, it's nice to hear. Um, and I'm not going to call you a politician, I'm a, a presidential candidate uh, and a, a political entrepreneur uh, thinking logically about this. And so one of the things, you know, that's important for people to realize, and hopefully you realize this in grade school, is we don't actually have a, a direct democracy. We have a representative democracy. And I assume that's because, you know, when America was born, the idea of getting everybody in the country to actually vote was 
not viable, uh, but it is viable now. Um, can you talk to how is technology, how could technology save uh, the American or democracy, American political system? Uh, so the, our founding fathers were not fans of direct democracy, uh, as you observe. And it wasn't because there was some uh, logistical limitation. Uh, really, they just didn't trust people. <laughs> Honestly, they, 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 okay. they said, you know what, we're going to have um, this representative uh, system. We're going to we're going to sort it out. And you have three branches and you also had... Uh, these two legislative bodies, one of which was supposed to be a little bit more close to the people in the form of the House of Representatives, and then the Senate was supposed to be more elevated, if you will, um, uh, and deliberative, though uh, they did not envision uh, our founders, the two-party system. Um, George Washington famously warned against political parties on his way out. John Adams said two parties would be a great evil across the land. Uh, James Madison said you can't have factions that don't shift uh, and, and so you had this representative uh, system that was set up that did not reckon with the fact that you'd have uh, the domination of these two parties the way that took place. Uh, and even then, the two parties, until the, let's call it the 70s, 60s and 70s, were sort of like vanilla and French vanilla. <laughs> like, like, like they, they, they weren't that opposed. Yeah. And if, you know, a Republican... Um, brought a Democrat home as their boyfriend or girlfriend. You know, the parents were like, cool. <laughs> you, know, like you, you were more concerned about, uh, let's call it race or religion, than you were party um, because the two parties were not that dissimilar. And then over the last 40 some odd years, then the two parties have started to peel off ideologically um, and polarize uh, in the way that they have. Um, so you have now this urban versus rural educated versus less educated, uh, uh, diverse versus more homogeneous, et cetera, like that, these things that, that are becoming more and more entrenched. And uh, none of this, by the way, is in the founding design. Like the founding design was, look, um, we'll have different coalitions, we'll come together, we'll come apart, we'll do different things. They never imagined that you'd wind up in these two increasingly polarized tribes that now um, don't need to deliver for us and this is why so many Americans are so frustrated, is that with this 94% uh, you know, uh, incumbent re-election rate and the fact that 90% of districts are drawn to be either blue or red and uncompetitive in the general, uh, the big myth in American life is that our leaders have to please 51% of us to stay in office. It's just not true. Uh, the what, reality what is, is they, just need, they just need to placate or please um, the folks who vote in either the Democratic or the Republican primary, which is generally between 10 and uh, 14% of people in the district. So if I'm a, a, a member of Congress, I just need to placate the most extreme folks in my party, and then I'm on a glide path to re-election. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy in that I knew if you're going to spend eight hours doing something, you should probably invest in doing it right. That's why I love Helix Sleep, which will send a mattress to your door that's made just for you. You take the Helix Sleep quiz and you get matched with a mattress based upon whether you want it to be soft, medium, firm, how you sleep, other variables, and then voila, it gets sent to your door and you can try it for up to 100 nights 
and send it back. They have a 10 plus year warranty because they believe in their product so much. I do too, my kids do too. They actually seek out this mattress even though it was designed not for them. <laughs> That's how good this product is. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple chiropractors and doctors because they think it'll make you healthier. Don't take my word for it. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang and use code helixpartner20. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. What is the roadmap for fixing democracy. And just to note, you know, you have a book coming out called The Last Election, um, right around the time this episode is, is coming out. Is it on this subject? Well, The Last Election is a piece of fiction, actually. It's a, it's, I, I'm trying to drag people into the message in different ways. And so we decided just to have this political thriller about an independent presidential candidate that's loosely based on Mark Cuban. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> and then um, what happens uh, throughout that election with this uh, new independent candidate? How much um, of the, the book, book did, I wrote? How much hmm? of the book did ChatGPT write for you? Um, uh, unfortunately, I finished the book with my writing partner before <laughs> ChatGPT really hit the scene. So, uh, you know, um, just zero, okay. unfortunately. Uh, the book I wrote about our political system uh, is called Forward, Notes on the Future of Our Democracy. Uh, it's now out on paperback. Um, so I've written a couple of books on this subject. But I was trying to codify and lay out what most Americans sense on some level. It's been fun on uh, some occasions, like frankly, at Abundance 360, mm. where you talk to entrepreneurs, leaders, uh, technologists, um, builders, and then you say to them, hey, you know this allergy you have to politics? It's totally rational. <laughs> and, and what's irrational is the setup, where um, you, you have a bunch, a series of fictions that are presented to the American people about our political system that after you start digging in, you realize, okay, they're not true. And then the question is, how do you actually fix it? So that, that's what uh, I'm, I've now been involved in. And I'm happy to say we're actually making some yeah. progress. Awesome. And I fall into the camp where, listen, talk to me about anything, just not politics, right? I, if I want to fix something, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to go and, and work on fixing it. The last thing I want to do is get involved in politics. And I have lost belief in the political process to fix problems. I believe that entrepreneurs are individuals who find juicy problems, build a new product or service, demonetize, democratize it, and solve that problem. Yeah. I, I think you are a very smart and wise man, Peter. Um, <laughs> I spoke to 20 business leaders, and I actually posed this question. And th they were CEOs. They were you know, very, very uh, eminent folks. And I said, how many of you, at some point in your career, considered running for political office? And a majority of hands went up because you know the, the, these are accomplished people. And then I said, how many of you have now concluded that you should not run for office because the system is so irrational, you're going to get dragged through the mud, and even on the chance that you manage to prevail over the machine, you're not actually going to be get, get anything done anyway. And then they all laugh, but then all of their hands go up. Yeah. You know, uh, reasonable people have just drawn this conclusion based on evidence because they're smart. 
So the, the, it's stacked, the, in, the system is stacked against us. I, I said years ago, any, um, with due respect to yourself, my friend, anyone who wants to run for president shouldn't be allowed to. It should be a drafted position for some of the smartest operators on the planet. I totally agree. And I also said to that group of business leaders, I said, uh, I don't know you all that well, but I would put you all in charge of the country ahead of the people who are actually running the country 100 times out of 100. And they all laughed and they said, yeah, like we would too, because they, they're rational. Uh, they'd be evidence-based. They'd just be trying to get things done. Their motivations would be generally good, all of which doesn't apply to the current there is there a path forward? I mean, you know, obviously the, the forward party is uh, been doing a lot of the strategic thinking, and we can talk about what the forward party is. Uh, I view myself as really a, a libertarian capitalist if I, had to, if I had to position myself in some fashion. But what is your roadmap? How do we make change here? How do we save uh, ourselves from what's happened in this two-party system? Thank you, Peter. I have many friends who would describe themselves the same way. Uh, what I'd say is the, the whole path is to make the fiction real. Now, how the heck do you do that in real life? The fiction is that our leaders need to make 51% of us happy and deliver for us in order to keep their jobs. The 10 to 12% in the primary electorate in the wings with their 94% uh, re-elect rate. So how the heck do you make the fiction real? So it turns out that because our founding fathers did not like political parties, there's not a word about being a Democrat or Republican anywhere in the Constitution, and all of the party mechanisms are established at the state level. It's all made okay. up. All right. Now, if you wanted to, you could change those mechanics in each state. And in 25 states, you could do so via ballot initiative where 50.1% of the people in that state decide to. They could, for example, get rid of party primaries in that state. Now, as I'm saying this, it sounds made up and impossible. So to most just understand what this means. It means any candidate who wants to run independent of the party, they all go up against each other at the same time. Yes. Imagine an all-party primary where you run as a libertarian, I run as forward party, there are two Democrats, there are three Republicans, what have you, and we all line up and make our case to the folks in that state and then the top four of us get through to a general election, and then the winner is chosen via ranked choice voting. Now, this is not a thought experiment. Everything I just described happened. You mean, a, you mean a democratic process? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I mean a democratic process. Now, um, everything I just described happened in Alaska in 2022, where in 2020, a majority of Alaskans voted to get rid of the party primaries and said, you know what, for any statewide race, it's all candidates in the same mega primary, and then the top four get through and are put through ranked choice voting to determine who wins. Now, in 2022, when you had a genuinely democratic process, you know what happened? Sarah Palin lost to a woman named Mary Peltola, who in the conventional system would not have won, but Mary Peltola, because of ranked choice voting, managed to win by, I think, four points in the second or third round of voting. Same principle, a woman named Lisa Murkowski, who's the incumbent one, despite voting to impeach Donald Trump, 
And she managed to defeat a Trump-endorsed challenger named Kelly Shabaka because a majority of Alaskans said, look, maybe I didn't love her decision on that one, but I generally think Lisa Murkowski is a a reasonable person. In a conventional system where Lisa Murkowski and Kelly Shabaka just went through a Republican primary, Shabaka wins easily. Uh, Lisa Murkowski's approval rating among Alaskan Republicans went down to 8% when she voted to impeach Trump. But there's no Republican primary anymore. By the way, half a dozen U.S. senators went to Lisa Murkowski on the Senate floor and said, we envy you so much, you don't have a primary. Mm. Imagine if all of the senators in the U.S. all of a sudden could say no to their party's base and instead would go to their constituents and say, I'm going to make 51% of you happy. Our decision-making policy improves just like that. So, so what enabled Alaska to put that ballot forward and get it supported? I would assume that the, you know, the political parties would have fought it tooth and nail. That is right, Peter. But it turns out that Alaska is a very cheap media state. You and I could be on Alaskan TV tomorrow if we so desired. Okay. Uh, so the ballot initiative in Alaska to get rid of the primaries cost $6 million dollars. The same ballot, I know, it's the best bargain in, in history. I mean, you get you get Sarah Palin out, you get Kelly Shabak out, and it's evergreen. It's not like you have to spend $6 million every cycle. You spend $6 million just to get rid of the primaries. I, I love Alaska. It's a frontier state, right? The, the frontier mindset is still there, and uh, good for them to lead the way. But, but I, I want to paint this picture because it's so important. So Please. then the same principle applied in Nevada. Now, a lot of people listening to this think, okay, Alaska's weird. Nevada's a little bit more normal. And like you said, the two parties decided to fight this ballot initiative tooth and nail. But the winning advertisement in Nevada was a military veteran looking at the camera saying, I went overseas to defend our country for years. I came back and I can't vote in our primaries. And I don't think that's right. Why couldn't he vote in the primary? Because you need to be a registered Democrat or Republican to participate in either primary. And he was an independent, like 50% Ah. of military veterans and like, at this point, 50% of Americans functionally. So that ad went out on Nevada TV and millions of Nevadans saw it and were like, that guy should be able to vote. So the Democratic Party came out against it. The Republican Party came out against it. But 53% of Nevadans said, that guy should be able to vote and I should be able to vote for whomever I want in an all-party primary. So what we're doing is we're going state to state and then flipping over the primary system because if you put it in front of the American people, of course they want to be able to vote for whomever they want. The fact that our tax dollars are subsidizing these party primaries is ridiculous. It's distorting everything. And the only people it's good for are the people embedded in the machine who don't want to have to actually submit themselves to us. I love it. It's got my vote for sure. I mean, it's like... Wait, this sounds really logical. <laughs> it's logical. And if someone wants to dig into this, uh, the progenitors of this set of reforms, it's Michael Porter, who's a Harvard Business School sure. uh, professor and godfather of management consulting, and a woman named Catherine Gale. They co-authored a book called The Politics Industry that said, you know why we're seeing our political system flail and fumble this way? It's because of bad incentives in the system. And the way to fix the incentives is to get rid of the party primaries, and here's how to do it. So the ballot initiative in Nevada cost $17 million, mm. which is more than the six in Alaska. 
If someone were to say to me, how much does it cost to fix American democracy? I would say approximately $200 million, which in our world, Peter, is a very manageable that's, sum. That's, that's nothing. Yeah. In, in, the, in the context of a system where we're going to spend $8 billion beating each other up and hating each other in 2024. Just one of the Forbes 500 individuals listening here, please just, you know. Lockdown Please get in touch with, with me. Uh, you can grab me on uh, socials, Andrew Yang. Peter has my number and email. Um, but how does the $200 million fix democracy? Check it out. You run the same ballot initiative that won in Alaska and Nevada <clears throat> in 10 states. It fails in five of them, but that's okay. You succeed in five, and then you liberate 10 U.S. senators to do whatever they think is best and not be enthralled to their parties on either side. That changes the nature of American Got politics. It. It's no longer uh, a deadlock. That, and that's very, very real. That's very, very doable. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Why let big tech companies see everything you're doing online when you can just use ExpressVPN and then be footloose and fancy free plus you get access to exclusive content by beaming in to another market. What do I mean? Let's say you have Netflix and you missed the show Snowpiercer. By the way, I loved that movie. And you want to watch the TV series, not available in the US on Netflix, but if you beam into the UK or someplace else, then there's Snowpiercer on your Netflix. See how it works? This is a way you can get more from what you're already spending on streamers, plus totally anonymous online, plus you can do it by pushing one button anywhere you are. It's why I love ExpressVPN. It's like a set it and forget it. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com yang. Don't forget to use my link at expressvpn.com yang to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's huge. And that's, again, it's the first piece of clear and logical thinking I've heard in a while. So thank you for making that. Um, thank you for explaining that. What's next on a roadmap? Where do we, you know, okay, we pull that off. What's the next step in, in heading us towards a true democracy? So I concluded all of these things now about 18 months ago. And so I've been running around with forward. Uh, now, let's say that we pull off what I'm describing. We get rid of the party primaries in five states. Ten U.S. senators are all of a sudden lucid <laughs> and clear. <thing. laughs> With lots of time Just on like their hands. <laughs> no, it, I mean, it's pretty wild. Like, you know, they, they would, they'd be like, hey, all of a sudden I'm... I'm they, have their own, they have their own opinion. Yeah. Yes, they have their own opinion. And in the other 25 states, you have mayors and county executives and city council members and occasional members of Congress also throwing off the yoke of the false blue versus red and saying, I'm also part of this new positive independent political movement forward. Now, you fast forward to the next cycle. This is the great frustration that you and many others share, is that we might be faced with a Joe Biden, Donald Trump rematch in 2024. God forbid. Uh, and it's patently by, ridiculous. By the, by the, by the way... Uh, what do you put the odds that that could happen or would happen? Uh, the odds are very high um, because Trump will probably win the Republican nomination despite his legal troubles. He's up 20 some odd points. 
Joe Biden, by all accounts, is running again. There's some rumor that he's going to step aside at the last minute next year, but, you know, uh, I, I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing. Mm. Um, so the Biden-Trump rematch, combined age 160, is very much <laughs> on tap. Nothing against, you know, folks of an advanced age, but these are not the octogenarians you want. This is before. A couple others I know I'd be fine with, but, but these are not the two. Before age reversal has been implemented, yes. Yes, you know, like what? what <laughs> these aren't the eighty-year-olds you want, anyway. Um, so, uh, but it, it's just a clear emblem of how uh, bizarre and dysfunctional a two-party system is that in a country of three hundred thirty million people, those will be the choices. I mean, gosh, Peter, like I was with you at Abundance three hundred and sixty. And I could almost just throw a rock and just take any of the people that the rock hits and say, you'd be a better choice than Joe or, or Donald Trump. I believe so, so if we get presented with this choice, many Americans are going to be looking for an alternative. Um, now, I, my organization forward, what we'll be doing is we'll be trying to organize swing voters in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, swing, gen, genuinely independent swing voters and say, we're going to go with whichever party is on board with getting rid of the party primaries and implementing ranked choice voting and reforming uh, the system itself. Um, so that's our project for 2024. But I'm going to project in the not so distant future, let's call it 2028. Okay. So imagine there was uh, an independent presidential primary where it's uh, Mark Cuban, The Rock, me, Oprah, Matthew McConaughey, Justin Amash, uh, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, whoever your favorite figures are. I don't know if you want to throw someone into this mix, Peter, if I miss someone. I, I, that you I, like. is, this, is this they have to agree or are they being drafted? Uh, either, you know, for may, the sake of maybe, it. Maybe we'll throw Tony Robbins and Elon into the mix, too. Holy cow. So Elon, unfortunately, is not born in the U.S., so ah, there's okay. like Tony that... that that, that, but but Tony all Robbins, all right, love, Jeff Bezos, love, love you know, Jeff, Jeff's going to, uh, you know, he's he's got the Washington Post, he's building rockets, you know, he's got to, you know, it's got to be something new he's going to go do. Let's throw Tony and Jeff into the mix, sure, and we can all vote in this primary on our smartphones. Say, I like Tony, I like Andrew, I like Mark Cuban, and then. Our vote is verified via a personalized QR code that gets sent to our mailing address. Mm -hmm. You scan it. Congratulations, your vote has been verified. Millions of Americans are participating in actual democracy. And then the I legacy parties would be left saying, no, none of that is real. What is real is waiting to hear what 6% of Iowans think in February. <laughs> and then millions of Californians and New Yorkers and uh, everyone else would be like, wait a minute, that makes zero sense. I don't give a shit what Iowans think any other time. Why am I caring this time? Or no offense to anyone, because I love you all, but like South Carolina or New Hampshire, I mean, you could just like throw whatever the heck the early basket of states. I, I mean, I went through this process. Only 6.5% of Iowans participated in the Democratic caucus I was a part of. It's probably going to be a not that much higher percentage of uh, Iowans in this Republican caucus. So let me get this straight. Um, there is a process by which you raise above some threshold. And uh, I don't care if you're the Cardassians or whomever, if, if you want to run for president, what would be the criteria for getting yourself on this digital ballot? This is so fun, Peter, because those 20 people, your 20 people, whomever, most of them know that 
if they ran for president as a Democrat or Republican, it would be miserable. You know, that they, they would get shivved the same way that we've seen, yeah. let's call it Mike Bloomberg get shivved or, or, or whomever. Um, but if you got to run in this independent primary, then you could genuinely make your case. Uh, you Speak could your be mind. positive. Yeah. There's not a machine trying to oppress you at every turn. And real Americans could get behind you and, and vote for you in real time. So the wonder of this is that a political party can design its nomination process however it wants. The Democrat and Republican Party have chosen to design it in a particularly anachronistic, nonsensical way, not because they think it's smart, but mainly because of inertia and they prefer to control. It, it, very, it gives them control, tight. of course. It's just yeah. control, right. Yeah. And part of that control has been the media, where if you see how the media covers various candidates, and I was part of this too, so in my book Forward, they very much have their thumb on the scale for certain candidates. Uh, and so that's how they, they, they try to make sure that the, their chosen candidate or candidates win. Um, but now all of that's falling apart. And so what is the new process that replaces it all? There is, we all, we, you and I both know, and everyone listening to this know, the tech for what I'm describing is completely mature. A political party can, again, nominate however it wants. The only things that you need are, number one, some heavyweights who are willing to run in mm -hmm. this kind of process, and number two, ballot access in all 50 states. Now, the, the ballot access is, if you had to put a price tag on it, maybe it costs you about $50 million. Mm. Now the forward party already has legal recognition in about eight states. We're kind of marching towards uh, uh, 20 by the end of 2024, let's say. So this is the infrastructure so that reasonable candidates actually can submit themselves genuinely, genuinely to the American people without the massive gatekeeping function I, of the two I, legacy parties that just want to keep it. everyone out. I love, it's it's the way it should be. I mean, we do, uh, you know, we move millions of dollars and some people billions of dollars on Bitcoin on your smartphone. Um, and you have all of your functions in life in verified fashion. Why not vote? Um, that's brilliant. Now, you've mentioned Mark Cuban three times. Have you spoken to him about this? I, I, I have, and he is one of my, uh, one of my top draft picks uh, for this endeavor. Um, if, if you don't know, check out his cost plus drugs. I mean, he's, uh, yeah, no, I do know the American. company to me. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. I mean, uh, love so, you, Mark. Yeah. So listen, I think, <laughs> I think this is a fantastic idea. Um, and you know, at this point, hopefully it's not just to be about a popular individual. It's hopefully going to be being popular and being intelligent and having good policies. I mean, why do people why do people say this wouldn't work? I mean, I would imagine people say, "Well, a populist politician uh, or president doesn't have the experience uh, that's needed to run. Uh, they have to rise through the ranks of you know local, state, and and uh, federal politics." Most people have not dug into it even that deeply, Peter. Honestly, um, most people just knee jerk think, "Well, uh, third party, hopeless." Ross Perot, Ralph Nader, uh, Jill Stein, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if they looked at the numbers, they would see that now 49% of Americans self-identify as independents, almost twice as what identify as Democrat or Republican. 
that this kind of internet voting is now very, very doable and natural for Americans in a way it was not even in the 90s. Uh, but their reservations um, are not the ones you just cited because most Americans are fed up. They would happily take a reasonable human that is not of the machine at this point. They just don't think it's possible um, mm. because of the conditioning, particularly from the media, that you must choose either column A or column B and nothing else exists. Yeah, I think people don't realize the influence the media has on politics. Um, and we, for I don't know what reason, think of the media as still concrete. The, you know, uh, con uh, what's his name? Um, Walter Concrete. Walter Concrete. Yes. I mean, it's independent. It's truthful. It's you know, representing you know, truth in the American way. But that's anything but. Well, I, I, this podcast will probably get a similar audience to you know one of the major cable channels. You know. <laughs> Well, so, you know... And a much cooler I, audience, I will say. A thank, much better thank you, thank audience. You. I'm, most, I'm, of, most of the people watching this are not, you know... Yeah, they're entrepreneurs. <laughs> they care about changing the world. And uh, they want, you know, the mindset is, let's find out where we can make things better. You know, up and to the right. You know, it's interesting, right? Because maybe it's going to be Twitter. Maybe it's going to be Google. Maybe it's going to be some other platform. But the platforms exist um, for full up verification and uh, to reach everybody in America. Well, you talk about the media. I mean, I think that's what motivated Elon in um, buying uh, Twitter slash X now is that he thought, you know, this is going to be one way I can actually uh, try to improve the nature of the messages that are getting out. Um, but what I'm describing, it's right there for us, man. Um, the, the fun thing is you can imagine who would run and a lot more excellent people would run if they thought they would be treated fairly. Do you think the, think the U.S. people would change the rules about being born in the U.S. if Elon wanted to run? I don't know, but I'd certainly love to test that proposition out. I was with <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger not that long ago, and I said, you should test that proposition out. But here's one of the, the fun things, Peter. Let's say that this independent primary does come to pass. Let's, I, I'm just going to speak for myself. If I were part of it, and let's say I lose to – I'll keep using Mark just as my example. Yeah, sure. Um, I would then endorse Mark and say, hey, man, like, let me go campaign for you around the country. And you could campaign anywhere. You'd end up with a team of a dozen high-powered surrogates and oh something God. of an administration or a cabinet in waiting. And the American people would be like, that crew is, is a crew I would trust and prefer yes. much, much more than yeah. the, the current freaking panoply of, you know, frankly, mostly second raters. <laughs> I, I, I love it. You're right. Once it flips, you've got, you know, uh, 30 incredible uh, influencers ready to back the independent car uh, candidate. Yeah, that, that's the vision, man. It's going to be the Avengers of rationality and, uh, you know, true progress. And so can people, have you written up these ideas in a concrete fashion someplace? So if you go to Forward Party, uh, that this is the movement. Um, I have not written up the um, independent primary plan, though there have been, frankly, versions of this that have uh, been written up. I'm going to be excited to to get energy behind the 2028 plan. Um, I, I, one I, reason why I'm not hammering that that hard is because we are stuck in 2024 right now to yeah. our earlier conversation. And so we're trying to organize independent swing voters in swing states to try and keep the current thing from collapsing. I love it. And, and this, in fact, is the digitization and democratization of democracy. 
in this regard. It, right? It's making the fiction real, <clears throat> Peter. And yeah. and to yeah. you know, the way you described me before, uh, my dad was a PhD in physics out of Berkeley. So when I saw Oppenheimer, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like mm. the freaking family tree in action. My, <laughs> my brother is named after Ernest Lawrence. Nice. Uh, the which is Josh Hartnett's Lawrence character. Labs, yeah. Um, but I, I'm a, a deeply flawed politician, shall we say, in that I, I just want to try and make things work better. Uh, I would prefer to be doing something else, <laughs> very, very, very frankly. I mean, uh, I, I'm like you, where you also are trying to solve problems, and you wisely said, you know what, I'm going to solve the problems that are solvable through entrepreneurship in the private sector. For better or for worse, uh, the problems I started getting animated about, like poverty, um, were things that I thought you needed the public sector uh, to, mm. to um, um, solve. And then now I've gotten um, very deep into the, okay, how the heck do you build a functional public sector? Andrew, let's flip to your second moonshot, which is the idea of universal basic income. Um, so uh, the idea, just to lay it out, as I understand it, and I welcome your, uh, your modification here, is as AI and robotics and other exponentials, 3D printing, AR, VR, blockchain, start to disrupt the job markets, and people uh, lose their jobs to technology, um, that we need to do a few things. One of them is going to be to help uh, level up those individuals, upskill them to better skills. But potentially, at least in the interim, is give them reliable income, uh, a universal basic income that allows them to you know, put food on the table, get insurance, um, not feel panicked, uh, perhaps get a better education, perhaps invest in whatever tech they need to start a small business. Uh, and it's about human dignity to a large degree um, and getting rid of fear, because there's going to be a lot of fear as AI steps in in a bigger way in the next uh, few years. Um, I'll say one more thing, and then this is your platform, and you did a huge amount to, you know, I don't want to say necessarily popularize, but educate people about universal basic income, which I'm, I'm grateful for. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, it is something that's not a theoretical uh, concept. It's been implemented and tested and, uh, and studied uh, over dozens, if not hundreds, of experiments, both in the United States and around the world. So that's my setup for it, and I want people to understand it's, uh, this is coming because we need a countervailing force to the fear that people have about potentially losing their jobs. Well, I, I love the way you frame that, Peter. The, the way I describe it is that you have a mindset of abundance and possibility and optimism and entrepreneurship, and then you have a mindset of scarcity, fear, us versus them, xenophobia, uh, uh, and negativity towards technology, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so which of these things is winning? Which of these is going to win? Um, I think you'd be hard pressed to say that nationwide 
the mindset of optimism and possibility is winning. It's definitely winning at Abundance 360, which was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> I go there and it's like, I was uplifted because here are people who are literally building the, the future. But then, you know, you drive a few hours in any direction and you wind up in <laughs> like a, uh, let's say a different mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so the, the question is, how do we help people transition? There are a lot of very smart folks who are deep in AI who've also been um, studying the effects of UBI or cash relief programs. And one of the things I think is going to appeal to folks uh, like you is that right now we have the worst of all worlds where we're spending so much money and energy on dysfunctional administration of programs that are really punitive and dehumanizing. I spoke to thousands of Americans who are on various aid programs. And the single biggest thing that motivates them is fear. They are scared stiff of losing their benefits. There was mm. a woman in Iowa who said to me, uh, I would like to volunteer for my local nonprofit, but I'm scared to because I'm on disability. And I'm afraid that if someone saw that I could volunteer, they'd take my money away. Yeah. And so you listen to that story and you think, my gosh, like, what have we done <laughs> where, where, where this woman's getting the money, but instead of using the money to live a better life, she's staying in because she's afraid of being seen as able-bodied. I mean, like that, that's what's happening right now for millions and millions of Americans where we've set up this unfeeling machine above them that they do not trust at all, by the way, and said, hey, you're... Uh, subsistence is going to be reliant upon your staying on the good side of this bureaucracy. And if you fill out the form wrong, we're going to pull the rug out from under you. I mean, like I, I've, I've spoken to military vets who are in this boat. I've spoken to so many Americans and it, it's, uh, we can do better, let's say. Yeah. Giselle sent me an article, uh, which framed it as insecurity versus, uh, inequality as the issue people are facing. They don't feel secure. They do not feel secure in the in the least. And if we can change that, then we have a much better chance of building a society where if someone else makes some rapid advance, you look at it and say, oh, good. Like maybe, maybe that's good for me in some way. Right now, unfortunately, it's more like, like look at that jerk over there who's doing well. Like, uh, you know, um, uh, like I'm not seeing any of that. So you've studied this. Um, if you had to... Uh, you know, most people say, listen, if you're sending people 500 bucks a month, it's going to be used for beer and Netflix and it's a waste of money for God's sakes. Why are you going to spend my tax money to do that? Uh, how do you respond to that? What's the data show? Well, the, the, the data shows that people tend to spend the money on, uh, food, fuel, shelter, books for their kids, uh, activities for their kids. Uh, and the biggest example of that data set was the enhanced child tax credit that was implemented in 2020 and 2021. That, yeah, in the U.S., where it lifted millions of American kids out of poverty. And 130 economists who looked at it said, we should keep doing this because the money is getting used very, very effectively. Uh, and uh, American politics being what it is, we then pulled the plug on that, <laughs> uh, even though there were so many... Uh, literally, there were Nobel laureates saying this is the best thing we've done in a generation to alleviate poverty. Uh, but the data is there for anyone to find. Um, you also saw, saw saw decreases in things like 
domestic violence, child abuse. Uh, I mean, if you put a little bit of money into people's hands. You talked about the data, Peter. There was one study I found very, very compelling out of an Indian tribe in North Carolina where one tribe started uh, giving people a certain amount of money because they had a casino, honestly. <laughs> and then there was another tribe that did I've got, I've got so, it here. It's the Eastern uh, Band of Cherokee Indians Casino Dividend in North Carolina. Uh, and giving them no strings attached between 4000 and 6000 per year is that particular one. And what yeah, and, results? Yeah, and you probably have it there that um, you had the kids uh, learn better and their, even their personalities became uh, more conscientious, more Im- trusting. Improved, there were an improved education, could... mental health, decrease in addiction and crime. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, if you wound up with people who do turn to crime and drugs... We end up paying for that too, in ways big and small. I mean, like the we're spending thirty to fifty thousand dollars per individual per year who is homeless or incarcerated uh, in our country. So it, if it hits our institutions, it's a lot more expensive than that four and six thousand dollars that those uh, kids got. Yeah, lest you think that this is a, a new idea, I'm just going to rattle off here the research that my producer Nick did. You know. Um, We've seen this in Alaska since 1982. Uh, Alaska's had uh, their uh, their fund funded by uh, by oil. I mentioned North Carolina. We've had experiments in New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, Iowa, North Carolina, Seattle, Denver, Gary, Indiana. A number is a big study done in Stockton, uh, California, uh, Canada, uh, England, Brazil, Germany, Spain, the Netherlands has done a number, Finland. Uh, Iran, Kenya, uh, Namibia, India, China. Um, so, I mean, this has been done hundreds of times, and as I read through the details here, it's consistent that this investment has super positive outcomes. I haven't read any place where it's been a, uh, had negative outcomes or a waste of money. Yeah, it's much more effective than, frankly, um, starting up a new bureaucracy and then saying, hey, guys, uh, improve the lives of people that are not you. Um, One of the organizations in this space that some people might have heard of is Give Directly, which is it transfers money directly to people in developing countries. Uh, Now, there's probably some skepticism among your audience, uh, rightly so of kind of a nonprofit industrial complex or an NGO industrial complex. Um, there's probably that mistrust when it comes to certain government bureaucracies that are terrible at uh, in administering benefits in a, like a, frankly, a sane way. This skips the middleman uh, and gets the resources to where it'll actually do good. Yeah. And I, I've, I've been a donor to give directly. I think it's a, uh, it's a brilliant, uh, you know, super low overhead, um, minimized overhead uh, process. On a personal level, Peter, the way that you and I do this probably is we just tip really well, uh, you know, because you're around someone, it's like, hey, this is going to be dollar for dollar. (laughs) (laughs) And it's such a beautiful thing when when someone unexpectedly gets a, a large tip and you know for that evening, that moment, you've changed their life. Yeah, it's a great, great feeling. I highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So the question becomes, where does this money come from? Uh, you know, can we afford it? And I'd like to play a few a few conversational games here. You know, I remember Jeff Bezos and a few other folks said, well, if we're going to start to see technological displacement of jobs 
and a robot takes you know a house cleaning job or a robot takes a factory working job or an AI takes a physician's job why don't we just tax that robot and that AI uh, for that work it's being done and then use that tax base to fund a UBI program does that make sense I think taxing AI makes a lot of sense uh, I think um, the practice of it might be a little bit trickier. Uh, the where the money comes from, for starters, <laughs> I, I don't know what people are going to re receive this. So our data right now is worth hundreds of billions of dollars a year um, to various companies. Your data is going to be worth more than others, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, but we're not seeing a dime of that. So uh, one of the proposals I had was, look, there should be a data dividend where uh, I'm not one to hold back uh, certain forms of development, but if you're going to be buying and selling my data, uh, maybe I should see what's going on and get a cut, and I, you know, and and um, that could be the start of multi hundreds of billions of dollars uh, type measure. Uh, AI itself um, could also, and one of the examples I use is that there are two million Americans who work at call centers still, yep. and let's say that AI is going to be able to do that job pretty soon. How much do those 2 million Americans pay in taxes right now? I'm going to guess that they do pay taxes. And then the question is, will the tech company that uses the AI pay anywhere near that level in taxes? History suggests it will not. Um, and so you'll wind up replacing tax-paying humans with AI that um, we might not see that kind of revenue from unless we change the system. You know, I've had this conversation with Elon, and we've been trying to go back and forth on when we're going to do another podcast together on the subject of abundance. And, you know, his first reaction is, yes, we're going to have full up abundance post AGI, right? And I get that, you know, uh, once we have artificial general intelligence, which leads rapidly to artificial superintelligence, and let's put away the dystopian scenarios, the Terminator, and we have uh, AI uh, we're heading towards a, what I would call technological socialism. Um, you know, uh, being a good uh, you know, capitalist entrepreneur, the term socialism and communism sort of like, you know, are knives into you. But technological socialism is an idea where technology is taking care of you. And uh, it's what will happen, right? AI, your best physician in the world will be an AI. Your best diagnostician, your, your best surgeon will be an AI and a robot. And those things will rapidly demonetize towards zero cost. Your best educator, we saw this with, with uh, Sal Khan, who's a real hero, as you had said on stage. Yeah, um, He is a hero. Well. I had uh, dinner with Sal last, last month, and uh, um, what a privilege. Yeah, he's a, such a sweet man and uh, a brilliant entrepreneur. Um, and so the things that we spend a large amount of money on today, uh, we spend a disproportionate amount on healthcare and education. A lot of Americans are nodding right now, Peter. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and what we're going to see is the very best healthcare and the very best education is eventually going to be free because it's going to be delivered by these, uh, these AI or AGI systems, right? It's the cost of electricity. And so that's going to be a significant, I mean, if our cost of living, so we spend our money on, we spend our money on health, on education, on transportation, eventually an autonomous Uber will be four times cheaper than owning a car. And if you don't need to live in downtown Manhattan or downtown Boston uh, because your job is there, because you can 
commute via Zoom, or because you can commute in an autonomous Uber back and forth, and the hour of travel time is usable, then you can live someplace where the real estate is four times cheaper, you know, and still you have a beautiful backyard. So we're heading towards a world of mass, massive de, uh, demonetization, I think, and efficiency of our time. So I think the cost of living should go down while the standards of living go up. Do I have it wrong in any way in your mind? I love the vision and I agree with the mega trends. Um, the problems are twofold. Number one is the regulatory problem. And this is where the public sector comes back in. Let's mm -hmm. say I invented AI that could do the job of a surgeon tomorrow. Yes. Um, you wouldn't see that happen in hospitals because the surgeons would just lobby the legislators and say, hey, it's got to be a human surgeon. Uh, or at a minimum, it's got to be a human surgeon advising the AI. Overseeing, um, the, right. The, yeah. The, the, so there's this regulatory capture that's going to make it uh, rough. There are certain sectors, and I'm going to use my call center uh, worker example, where legislators aren't going to give a shit about them. You know, they, they don't have a lobby. <laughs> so, so, so there you'll see it uh, go very rapidly. It's one reason why this political reform is so important is because there's going to be a race toward uh, regulatory protection. It's like who who's going to be... Uh, viewed as like, oh, you know, indispensable human worker, like can't replace you. Um, <laughs> and the AMA, by, by the way, why do we have a physician shortage in the US of humans? I mean, which is one of the reasons why AI doctors will be such a massive value add. It's because of the American Medical Association artificially keeping the number of doctors low um, because they, they didn't want- I just thought people got smarter. And people got smarter and realized they don't want to actually spend four years in medical school, five, six, seven years with internship and residency, come out such massive debt just at the time that AI is going to take their job. So that's why I thought. Uh, no, no, because if you think about it, there are all of these folks who are below the line in terms of yeah. applying to medical school. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, I'm, I'm, I'll make an insert Asian joke here. Anyway, <laughs> where okay. there's been an artificially curbed supply, and then you know that uh, those professionals are going to lobby very, very furiously. And it's not just the doctors themselves. You see it with certain device manufacturers where – do you know Dean Kamen by chance? I, I was with him for dinner at his home in New Hampshire on Friday night. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. All right, so, so Dean told me a story. might have told you too where he invented a portable dialysis machine, which would improve people's standard of living dramatically. But then the folks who profit from inpatient dialysis said, no, 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 that's not safe. Yeah. <laughs> and and they, they, their motivation was obviously that they make a whole lot more money. Yeah, it's, it's, actually, evil. it's actually evil. It, um, it's evil. There, there's a yes. lot of evil going on in the system because people are making money off of the inefficiency. And they will fight, fight, fight to keep the inefficiency because that's their business now. So uh, so the future you're describing is the future that would be happening in the absence of this regulatory capture. Uh, and But there are going to be some folks who get displaced very summarily. And so managing this transition in both groups is a must. And right now, the, the question is, how can you coax some folks being like, look, guys, you're going to be okay, but AI is going to start doing this lifting for us uh, or this surgery for us. And you're not, you know, you're not going to starve to death. You'll be fine. <laughs> and then also go to the folks whose work is made irrelevant very quickly.
So I get the idea that we're going to have uh, ingrained um, biases and uh, self-motivation keeping things the way they have. And that's always been the case, right? Um, I'm sure it falls eventually. I mean, there will be a point where when you see that human surgeon coming at you and you say, oh, no, 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 I do not want that human touching me. <laughs> you know, I don't know how much coffee they had if they had a fight with a boyfriend or girlfriend last night. I want the robot... <laughs> I want the robot that has seen this surgery a million times and cost, you know, a hundred times cheaper. I want it doing the surgery. And so the question becomes, um, you know, we're going to have to be data-driven uh, evolution. And I think we're going to see, it's not going to be a little fuzzy. It's going to be the AI is making the right diagnosis, um, you know, 99 times out of a hundred compared to the, uh, to the human and one of the biggest problems is humans make a lot of mistakes. Yep. I mean, your, your entire uh, had a fight with their partner or uh, got drunk or something. I mean, that stuff's real. Uh, you know, it's not like our physicians are superhuman or whatnot. I mean, like they, they're, I mean, they, they have problems and their problems do not keep them from coming in and operating on us or, 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 or whatever the case may be. So, so we're going to have, I hope, the cost of living is going to demonetize. I mean, it has tremendously, right? Uh, but we don't, we don't count those things that have demonetized. We don't count the fact that our communications are world-class, as good as the president of nations had you know, decades ago, and it's free video conferencing on FaceTime or Zoom. I mean, that's insane. We don't count that. We don't count... The, all of the free entertainment we have, the free knowledge, even free AI we have. Uh, but the things that we do pay uh, for, there's going to be demonetization pressures. I agree, Peter. And in many ways, so someone once described me um, in a flattering way uh, as wanting to be America's wet blanket. Uh, like, I just want everyone to chill out while we make this set of transitions and right now, Americans are getting the opposite of more chill, <laughs> shall, shall we? Shall we say? Yeah, uh, like, right, we're out. getting in, yeah. we're getting yeah, we're getting stressed down, inflamed, uh, and polarized, and uh, scarcity is taking over, and more and more insecurity, as Giselle put it. Um, so I see my role as trying to make it so that we can actually enjoy the bounty of this uh, amazing time to be alive. We're in. Yes, it's extraordinary. You know, yeah. one of the other ideas that one of my A360 members um, has spoken about, I think you've spoken about this as well, is basic living as a service, you know, a community where for 250 bucks a month, uh, you get uh, housing, internet, water, food, what else do you want to throw in there, right? So a fixed cost sure. and, and- Entertainment. Entertainment, Sure. Um, which I, I love that idea because at scale, this is what technology can do. It can, it can give us um, a constantly demonetizing, meeting all our basic needs and allowing you to earn a living that allows you to put away money and reinvest it. Yeah, I joked, Peter, at one point, it's like we have to enter the era of terrible artwork um, because we just have people who are able to chill out and paint terrible paintings or whatever the heck it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, uh, Some of them will be awesome, I'm sure, but Sa also Sa terrible. Yeah, Sadhguru, um, I don't know if you know Sadhguru. Um, uh, he, I was on stage with him years ago in St. Petersburg, and um, we had dinner afterwards, and he said something that has never 
left me. He says, uh, uh, technology allows humanity to finally take a vacation from survival, right? He, he's totally right. And we've been operating under this resource constraint mindset and institutional setup and everything else where it's zero sum. And we're about to hit a point where a lot of these goods uh, will have essentially zero marginal cost. And then what do you do in an era of abundance? What does that become? Uh, we're not set up for it. And in many ways, I feel like the challenge is trying to prepare us for abundance in a time when scarcity actually, unfortunately, is the lived experience of many of our, our fellow Americans and humans. Agreed. I mean, one of the um, last points I want to touch base with you on here, because I think it's fundamental to uh, solving UBI in an actual functional way is that of purpose, right? I think yep. um, as, as living a human experience, as a biological uh, uh, individual, uh, we need purpose. Um, and just, you know, surviving is not that, and just being given money isn't that. Any thoughts on, on this? You know, uh, um, when I was running for president, Peter, I, I had visions of an American exchange program where when you were graduating from high school, you'd go to another part of the country and live with a family who, by the way, would send their kids someplace else too. So they'd probably be nice to you. Maybe you'd even trade. What a um, great uh, way of creating globalization and peace, right? Yeah. So then you'd be like, hey, when, when someone says something negative about the, those folks in uh, the red or blue zone, you'd be like, I actually hung out with them and they're perfectly fine. And they're, they're just like us. Mm. Uh, like, uh, I had notions of various types of national competitions, not because it necessarily had economic value, but because people need structure, purpose, fulfillment, goals, community. Uh, what well, if you were to rewind to an earlier point in American life, um, Maybe your church or religious group served a particular role in your life. Um, now that has gotten replaced, unfortunately, by this is going to hurt you in your heart, but it's been replaced uh, by politics in some, uh, <laughs> so, some, some people's lives. Uh, so so we, we do need to imbue more communities with the sense of structure, purpose, fulfillment, goals, uh, and one of the big misconceptions about me has been that I was somehow unmindful of that. I mean, um, I, I'm, or, I mean, I like to work, honestly. Now, I'm very, very fortunate where I get to do very, very meaningful, purposeful work. And I genuinely feel like, hey, if I weren't here, um, something wouldn't get done. <laughs> so that's a good feeling. Yeah. And that the goal has to be to try and make it so that more people have that feeling. And even if it's not something society-wide, like maybe you or, or I am I'm working on, it can be something as simple as, today I'm going to be very important to helping my neighbor you know, sure. clear their garage or care for their children or what have you. Yeah, one of the things that people <clears throat> um, hopefully realize is a lot of the jobs, not all, but a lot of the jobs that robotics and AI will take are jobs that were not the jobs people dreamed of doing when they were kids, right? Um, they didn't dream of being a waiter or cleaning apartment buildings or whatever it might be. Um, but that was the job that you could get to put food on your table or get insurance for your family. And so the question really is, fine, let tech 
take those jobs that are dull, dangerous, or dirty, you know, and um, how do we enable that individual now to level up to what they dreamed about? Um, how do we allow people to dream into a, a bigger purpose? And I think AI as their co-pilot to help them educate themselves and do things they didn't think they could do um, is critical. And and I think it's almost we have to split the, split what you do for a living to make money separate for what you do for a purpose. Yeah, and, and one thing, Peter, that you suggested just now is that there is a distinction between how men and women or boys and girls experience uh, this phenomena where, uh, and studies have borne this out, by the way, that if you have an idle man, um, they volunteer less than an employed man, even though they have more time, Hmm. Um, and their consumption of uh, drugs and gambling and uh, some other things go up. (laughs) And, and, And so the sense of purpose and usefulness that you're describing uh, is vital to staff off um, both personal and community self-destruction. And one of the things that Americans are experiencing at higher levels, unfortunately, are those things. Uh, deaths of despair continue to, to rise. Um, and there's an asymmetry in terms of how men and women uh, are faring uh, in contemporary American life, where now uh, only 40% of incoming college students are men as an example. Um, And so there has to be a massive investment in things that help men in particular find Mm -hmm. uh, a a way forward. Um, In the absence of these kinds of measures, many men will go down dark rabbit holes and roots. um, And that's where the negativity takes over. Yeah. And and unfortunately, it, it is also the case for younger men in their teens when hormones hit um, and they're not fighting the lions on the savannas of Africa. Yes. And, and this is something I feel very deeply where, uh, you know, again, I've been very fortunate, but I remember as a young man, when I started a company and did not work out and my Asian parents frankly pretended to their friends that I was uh, still a lawyer and doing well, (laughs) 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 that, that, um, you know, you, you, you feel, um, like this challenge to your self-worth. Uh, now, I was, again, very fortunate that in my case, I joined another startup um, and then... Which is what makes America with, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's what makes America great. But but there, there are lots of uh, young men in particular who don't have this set of opportunities. And then for them, um, they kind of shrink inward. I'm also the parent of two young boys, so it's one reason why I feel this. Um, As am one I, of them is, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you, you feel this too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, instinctively, like your kids will be fine. My kids will be fine. Uh, one of my boys on the autism spectrum has particular challenges. But I, I see uh, American boys uh, in different circumstances. And a lot of them, um, you know, if they don't find a productive direction, it'll turn inward in ways that are not positive. Yeah. I want to thank you, Andrew, for having the courage to run for, for president. It is... Uh, something I will never do, uh, not for me. But uh, not even you. in an independent primary where people oh, can vote man. on their smartphones, oh, Peter. Uh, listen, where you can listen, actually talk sense. Uh, if 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 logic uh, actually rules, um, um, 
okay, it's a non-zero, but it's still, it's, I'd rather spend my time uh, solving the world's it, biggest in problems. In many ways, my goal will be to make it so that awesome people like you have a higher chance of <laughs> throwing your hat in the ring than is currently the case. Currently, I would totally, uh, you know, get it. All right. But listen, I love the idea of Mark Cuban versus uh, Tony Robbins uh, versus Kim Kardashian as <laughs> on the, on the uh, independent uh, spectrum for election. It would be a fun, a fun election. I mean, we could actually pay for the entire thing with just the uh, reality TV uh, rights. And we would run the table, Peter, genuinely, because so many Americans would look up. I mean, two thirds of Americans want an alternative to the two party system. If you had that battalion, Everyone would be like, okay, we're totally doing that. <laughs> we, would, we, we would win. I mean, you know, and this is something we should be building towards as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for your moonshots, my friend. Just to remind folks, again, it is uh, to uh, reinvent and fix the uh, democracy, no small challenge, and then to help uh, birth UBI as a program that is recognized, understood, and rolled out. Um, not just here in the United States, but through uh, an example in the United States, I think, around the world. Uh, I'm looking forward to a time when uh, kids are dreaming of the types of moonshots they had when I was a kid, right? Being an astronaut, go to the moon, um, and uh, moonshots that really make the world a better place. Where do we find you on social media, Andrew? Uh, well, what a vision, Peter. Uh, we'll fight alongside you to make it real for kids around the world. You can find me at andrewyang.com, Andrew Yang and most social media platforms, or you can go to forwardparty.com. But let's actually build a version of the future we know is possible. It's not going to happen without us. I love it. And watch out for, uh, for Andrew's uh, new book, The Last Election. Uh, and remember, the hero is Mark Cuban. Um, <laughs> but, don't tell, but don't tell Mark that. Uh, pal, uh, thank you for your vision. And I'm going to help spread your word because I believe in what you're saying. It makes a heck of a lot of sense. Well, thank you, Peter. It's, it's about abundance, my friend. 